0: alright guys it's all about bear because spring bear season is either open or opening soon let's roll there exists a threat from anti hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away and we won't stand for it those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul in this show we share our love of hunting fishing and conservation here Gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is episode number one zero seven, and I am coming at you from the Broken Town Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Got a really good episode. I'm excited to record tonight with uh, with my new friend, and I'm going to announce him in just a minute. And I just need to do a couple of announcements. If you guys are listening to this. And are following along with us on Instagram, you know that we just released our turkey call giveaway from Phelps Game Calls. That uh, is to include a box call, a uh, and and a, a three-read pack for you know your mouth reads, and then a blackback mouth read. Which is uh, as we speak, I just uh, called in a couple of jakes yesterday for my my girls who are 11 and 13, and we pulled a double. It was awesome. Um, they uh, these jakes come across this meadow, and I'm with my buddy Tyler Oaks on his property. He lives uh, f- uh, I don't know 10, 15 miles away from me here, but he's got uh, he's got great turkey habitat over there. And um, we go over there. Me and him are calling. I'm using the, that black bat, and and these these jakes come across the, the the meadow right up to within about eight yards of where my daughter was sitting with my shotgun. And the crazy thing is they were behind this big tree. This tree is like, I, I'm not kidding you, it's two feet around, It's th- this huge tree. They wouldn't come around, so I'm behind my daughter. I pick her up and move her to the right to give her a shot. She She takes a shot, drops one dead, kind of wounds the second one, and I grab the shotgun and hand it to my 13-year-old, who runs around the tree. And as the wounded one's trying to run off, Nils that sucker. <laughs> so it was awesome. It was an awesome hunt. So um, just a reminder, you guys, uh, I kind of went off there on a, on a, a tangent about that. But uh, what a ball. Get your kids out and do some turkey hunting this year if you get a chance. But anyway, back to the turkey giveaway. Um, that's like a $100 uh, package uh, in, in that giveaway. So, so make sure what you're doing is it's all on Instagram. Jump on there. Tag somebody who's not following the Western Huntsman. And um, that will get you entered into the random drawing for next... Well, uh, when I release this, it'll be this week. Um, And then anybody, any new followers since the post has been up will be entered for the second place drawing, which is a uh, three-pack turkey reed giveaway from Phelps Game Calls as well and some Western Huntsman stickers. So all sorts of good stuff. Uh, Just wanted to throw that out there. I also have... um, Real quick, i got to pull this back up on my phone here. Hang on. Bear with me. Uh, my buddy, I, I, I just wanted to do a shout-out. I haven't done one of these for a while. But um, specifically to these guys in local 2032 District 1 East Jefferson Fire and Rescue over there in western Washington, uh, Ben Carver. You guys and your boys, I just wanted to give you guys a shout-out. Uh, there was a rumor you guys are listening to the show there in the fire station right on I appreciate that I appreciate what you guys do thank you for your service again Ben Carver shout out to you and uh, and and your uh, firefighter friends there again East Jefferson fire and Rescue district 1 local 2032 in western Washington you guys are awesome I appreciate it all right guys this week I've got my new friend that I'm gonna totally slaughter his last name but I'm gonna give it hell anyway uh, from the Western Bear foundation. Joe, Joe, just say your last name, dude. I already forgot how to pronounce it. Condilis. <laughs> uh, Condilis. See, I was going to yep. say Clondilis, so oh, I'm glad you did that. Condilis. <laughs> um, where does that name come from, man? It's Greek. Is uh, it Greek?
1: It's actually been shortened a little bit since uh, my, great-grand- my great-grandpa came over uh, from Greece and um, was at Ellis Island and did that. And they, they actually... The name was spelt differently, uh, in Greece. We've done some, uh, back history and when they spelt his name at Ellis Island, they spelt it like we spell it now, K O N D E L I S Uh used to have like an O and a U and some more vowels in there. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a Greek name. That's awesome. (laughs) So have have you ever been to Greece? No, it's, it's on my bucket list. We still have some family over there. Um, you know, long distance, uh, thirds and fourth cousins and stuff but uh yeah we uh we haven't been but I definitely want to hit that in Italy uh, or where kind of my uh my roots are from
0: yeah that it's a cool trip man um I I so I've been to Greece and I regret when I went because I was uh it, you know it was it was one of the stops when we were on a, a overseas deployment when I was in the military right and so i was young and the focus was getting off the ship and going and partying and Heck so yeah. I, I didn't really get to see any cool sights in greece and and i i really regret that now that i'm older you know it's like god what what the hell are we thinking <laughs> we're we just wanted to get off the ship and chase women and, and go drink, drink and, and, and chase yeah. girls yeah i have been the same way and not appreciated it it's, <laughs> it's funny how
1: things change as you get older you're it like totally does man I'm, i've missed out on a great opportunity and at that time, no, you're not thinking about, like, oh, I could go see all this neat stuff. Right? I could have seen it's, athletes. Especially when you're in the military. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, oh, well, we're on leave. I'm out here.
0: Yeah. It sucks. I, I, I really do regret that, but it, it is what it is. At least I can say I've been there, I, I, I suppose. Heck yeah. I don't remember much of it because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did it right. <laughs> when, you let, when you let Marines out in a foreign town, uh, they about shut it down and burn it down. So uh, that's about all I remember. So, Cody. Or I'm sorry, yeah. you're, you're in Cody. Um, yep. Joe is in Cody, Wyoming. And you. what do you do again for the Western Bear Foundation?
1: Oh, I call myself the chief volunteer because we're an all-volunteer organization. Uh-huh. So um, we, we don't have any paid staff or anything. So I, I kind of am essentially the founder um, and current acting president or executive officer, whatever you want to call it. We don't really have a lot of titles here, but... Um, yeah, so uh, Ben and Cody for this is my 17th year, I think. I originally come from southwest Montana in Butte, um, but we've been here for like uh, 17 years and just absolutely love it here. And um, kind of started the foundation, uh, in my mind with a buddy, uh, all the way back in like 2002, 2003, living in Montana, and didn't get it kicked off and, and get the I say I didn't get my poop in a group until about 2005 and six to try and figure out how to start a nonprofit, which is
2: mm-hmm.
1: not something I learned uh, ever. And uh, it's not easy. So struggle. Either. No, it, it was just like no one to go to to learn, and mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like bear hunting. A lot of people aren't aren't keen on sharing secrets, which is why one of the reasons we like to start the group was because. We wanted an organization that people could go to and lean on for like advice, tips, and tricks, amongst a lot of other things. But, oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. that's kind of how the foundation got started, and uh, we are uh, we're going strong now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I'm. I, let's circle back to talking about Cody for a minute. Um, yeah. Now I did have I did have somebody in Cody on the show like a year ago. I'm trying to remember that because I said that, I'm not going to remember his name, but he is an awesome <laughs> dude that is uh, um, I, we, we talked about grizzly bears and the, and some of the grizzly bear encounters over there. Um, oh yeah gosh. and and so I was I was telling him, you know that, like Cody is a, is kind of a special place for me. Um, I, I love Cody, Wyoming. My wife and I almost moved there back in 2012, I believe. Um, wow. we, we went down there like four or five times in over a summer and looked at houses and, you know, all sorts of stuff. We almost moved there. Um, anyways, what was his name? That is going to drive me crazy. What,
1: what, what was the context of why he was on? Did, was he uh, a part of a group or anything?
0: No. So he's, uh, he's a resident down there and we were, we were hunting. I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here in the, um, I, I feel like it was Dan, but I could be wrong. I don't know if it was Dan. I'll I'll look it up. I'll find it by the time. Uh, I, I'm gonna feel bad if he listens to this, and I, it's 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 a brain fart. Not that I don't remember. I,
1: <laughs> well, 107 cool. shows in you. Uh, yeah, it's probably easy to forget. That's a lot. That's pretty cool.
0: It's uh, it was it was an interesting conversation because I brought up that that little restaurant there in Cody that I I still think about a lot. It's that little red building. It's like a steakhouse. Ron Nijoliak.
1: Oh, Ron! I know Ron well. Yeah. yeah. Big bow hunter.
0: Yep. Yeah, 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 big time bow hunter.
1: Some great, great stories and.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great
1: dude. Yeah, I did see Ron was on a while back. I for some reason it didn't uh,
0: occur to me either. Yeah, I just yeah, I totally, I totally spaced his name there. So sorry, Ron. Yeah. You're listening, buddy. <laughs> Gosh. I'm gonna like have to send him a T-shirt or something now after yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I love Cody, man. Uh, it's it's actually the the spot where I don't know if I told this story or not, but I I was kind of messaging you. I I got up early, left the my wife and kids over over at the hotel in town there, and I went I went fishing. Is it is it the the Shoshone River right out of there? Yep. Guy? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fish, fishing that bad boy, and it had rained the night before, so I I was the first one down this trail early in the morning, and I'm down there fishing whatever. I, I think I caught a couple of fish and. And then turn around and walk back up that trail, and there were grizzly bear tracks covering my tracks from walking in an hour prior to that, um, <laughs> and it was nuts. And I took I took some pretty good pictures of it. <laughs> somewhere There's so. no
1: shortage of them in this country, man. It is it's yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we might we might talk a little further on that. So I want to get back to the um. The Western Bear Foundation and kind of what in in your mind, what is the mission of the Western Bear Foundation before we go into some of this other stuff?
1: Yeah, I think the quick and easy elevator pitch is uh, we want to be an organization that advocates for bears and bear hunters. So uh, uh, two sides to to our kind of plan. And and one of our founding platforms was to be the go-to group for bear hunters out there that are advocating for the sport. Mm-hmm. trying to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure a future for our sport and our hunting heritage, specifically black bear hunting. Um, and, and hopefully grizzly hunting. That was another platform of ours was to do what we could do as a foundation to do this a grizzly bear. Um, and there's a lot that we've done in the past and, and continue to do to try and do that. But, um, yeah, so one side of the, of the token, we're like all in on hunting and want to make sure we, we are, uh, protecting bear hunting uh, for sportsmen in, in the United States. And on the other side, we really are kind of fine-tuning. And We've done so much conflict mitigation work for grizzly bears, like most of the money for quite a few years was going into electric fences, bear-proof storage containers, bear-proof garbage cans. And our thought was <clears throat> the more grizzly bears we keep on the landscape, the easier it is to get them delisted rather than kind of going the other way that people think like, oh, let's just kill them all. Like, well, we're never going to get them delisted that way. And we want hunting seasons. We want state regulation. We want the states to control the grizzly bear. And so that was what we did for a while. And and now we're kind of like still doing that, but we're able to do a lot more on black bear research, which is what we really wanted to do for a long time because – if you look back, and, and there's some states doing some stuff now, but we really haven't done a lot with black bears in the West in, in quite a few years. Um, there's not a lot of states that can definitively um, give a good estimate on how many black bears we th- are in each state. You mm-hmm. know, they just say we're around this number, but you can damn sure know how many grizzly bears are in the of Yellowstone or Northern Continental Divide ecosystem. So. We, we kind of thought like you know the grizzly bear is taking a lot of the money, funding, and research away from black bears. Yeah. Probably because black bears are not a uh, they're not a resource concern. And, you know we have them everywhere. They're almost in all 50 states if not already. There's more black bears on the landscape now than than there's ever been. Mm-hmm. And so it, it people don't think we need research, but I, I kind of think the other way. Like we're starting to see mange come up in the east. And we're seeing things that can affect large populations. And so, what we've been really striving for the last few years is uh, getting black bear research in states, population studies, density studies. We're doing a huge one in Wyoming right now. That's really kind of cutting edge. Um, that we have a, a grad student working with the University of Wyoming, an assistant professor working on it, and and the University uh, or the Wyoming Game and Fish doing a lot of work. And we're going to try and get population estimates through dna uh hair collection uh, on several different mountain ranges in the state we're also looking at harvest vulnerability of bears over bait which we can bait in wyoming but Mm -hmm. we see a lot of the same age class getting killed in wyoming over baits like younger Um, bears or yeah middle you know i think there we're trying to decide whether or not baiting is uh we're, we're continuing to kill the same age class while we see big, big bears like age out and maybe not get killed. And and, and we have theories as uh, I've baited and, and run baits myself. And, you know, them big ones, as you know, are really hard to get in the daylight. Yeah. And uh, so it, we're trying to understand that. So we're actually like including hunter uh, reports on bait sites, they're logging baits, uh, what they use. Um, if we had collar bears in the areas where they're baiting that we can, uh, we can see how, what bears that we have collared are using baits and when. And so it's going to be a really cool deal when it's all said and done. And I'm hoping it kind of sets the stage for a couple other states to get involved and, and start looking at black bears as a, you know, as a, as an important piece of, of wildlife that they have and not just some throwaway species that, you know, we offer tags. We really don't know anything about them.
0: Yeah. So to the, to the grizzly bear point, how yeah. how long have they been over management objective for oh, the ESA? It, it,
1: uh, over ten years.
0: I I was gonna say I I want to say, but you're the bear expert. I I want to say it was like 2008 or 2009.
1: Yeah, and we asked for delisting, and um, so they've been delisted twice in the Greater Yellowstone.
0: Yeah, I do know that. Yep.
1: Yep. And, and then they've been over objective. We've met the recovery criteria for, I believe it's like 13 years now. I could be wrong on that. Um, that's not gospel. I try and keep all the numbers in my head, but the recovery criteria is what, what they have to go off of. And there's like three or four different things. And once all those things are met, that they can be deemed recovered by the Endangered Species Act. Um, and that has been done for a decade. And we're still sitting on uh, uh, listed population of bears
0: Do you happen to know what those three um things are that need to be achieved in order to to delist the bears?
1: You are going to you are going to test me aren't you? So I know one is <laughs> I'm just
0: um, I'm super curious. One is
1: uh one is sows and cubs and there has to be an x amount of those. Um there is uh uh gen- not genetic diversity I don't think I, I, I don't want to okay.
0: speak I'll, on it I'll, because no, I th- and that's okay. I have it. I'll, um, I'll look it I up. Have it, but. I'll, I'll look it up after this after this conversation because I that is something that um it, it it peaks the grizzly bear thing peaks my interest and and I've talked about this quite a bit on the show um you know that the fact that they were delisted and then. Through these grizzly bear advocacy groups and and animal rights activist groups, they they found judges that would uh, put them back on the endangered species list. Um and 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 so anyway, the, the the point is is obviously for for a guy like me, I live in grizzly country as well. Now it's not as thick and uh, you know as active as is right there outside of Cody, uh, but but we do have them. We we do have them in this area. In fact, there was there was even uh, the fishing game, Idaho fishing game. Last September, put this warning out uh, as to this particular sow grizzly that was in in a you know this, this specific kind of drainage area. The day after, I'd spent all day in that specific drainage hunting, <laughs> and so yeah, um, it was it was interesting. But um, it, it, you know, like where I live, if you go south into like Unit Four and Four A and all those. Um, there's there's a couple of grizz in there, but not not many. But if you cross the Clark Fork River and go into Unit One, into the Cabinet Mountain Range, uh, we have a ton of grizzlies up there. And so I feel like that river's my buffer. They don't want to swim across it or something. But um, I,
1: I, yes, I for now
0: <laughs> yeah for now <laughs> give them right. time. They they just need the right motivation, right? And so um, I, I it's it's a it's a big topic for me that and one that I want to dive into more because I feel like I I don't have uh, like, you can ask me a lot of things about wolves and wolf management and, uh, you know, management objectives and state state objectives for keeping them off the endangered species list and all the, that kind of stuff, and I can answer all that. When it comes to grizzly bears, I, I, I'm I kind of lost with it, and so that's what I, I – I, that said, I still have big opinions about why they should be uh, delisted and, and there should be state management. I have, I have very big opinions about that and how that – relates to human grizzly interaction and, and how that mitigation could be changed through hunting seasons and behaviorally. Yeah. You know, I, we can go on and on and on about that. So, um,
1: that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like because of the most recent delisting and then petition to relist and then the judge Christensen in Missoula, uh, upholding that and we lost our hunting seasons and they went back on the list. Mm-hmm. There was some different things that came up then came up the first time we got them delisted. So the first time we got them delisted, there was like this concern over white bark pine crop and their natural food. Oh, that those numbers are down, so we can't delist them. This last time was a lot of paperwork stuff. It was like little loopholey things, and one of them was genetic diversity. They said, well, the the, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem bear doesn't have enough genetic diversity. Well, part of the recovery plan is to have genetic diversity. And they said, well, there is enough for the plan. But he said, we would like to see more of that. And there were some other things that came up. And so it was a lot of like wording. So now in the new petition to the list, we, the, the state of Wyoming and, and Idaho did a, a petition as well. A lot of it's been changed, the wording. Like instead of not relocating out of state to supplement genetic diversity, simply they changed the wording and said, we will translocate or we'll locate bears out of state. If we capture them in Wyoming, we'll move one to Montana. If we think that we need to augment genetics. And so mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff was little tiny things, but um, like for the, for instance, so now I have it up here. Now the, the, the recovery criterion is um, a minimum population size for the greater Yellowstone, which right now is, um, we're, we're sitting well over probably 1,100 bears uh, easily, conservatively. We have to manage for
2: 500. Just, just in the, the Greater Yellowstone? Yellowstone?
1: Yeah. Yep. We have to manage for 500. So we're 600, 700 over objective there.
2: Yeah. Um, breeding,
1: breeding female occupancy. So that was the one. And we have to make sure that 16 of the 18 units within the Greater Yellowstone, so if so they break the Greater Yellowstone recovery zone into units, and 16 to the 18 of those have to be occupied by females with offspring over a six year period um, that, that has been done uh, for a long time. So that one's kind of out. Um, the other one is mortality limits. And it's to ensure that annual mortality rates are not exceeding a, a certain amount for independent males, independent females, independent young. Regar- and so all those things have been
0: done regardless of the cause of mortality that's, that's just kind of taking that into account that's just
1: yeah and, and so they base it off of what the estimated population is and then they say these are the mortality thresholds that we can sustain uh, and even though there's years where the we, we in wyoming are removing forty something bears we're still well within that so much so that that's how we got the hunting season quotas yeah they said the, the deaths of bears from last year was this number. You had X amount left in the threshold. That's how many bears you can harvest on, on a hunting season. So, and now it's interesting because Montana did a petition on their own. So the Wyoming Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem Petition is a MOA, Petition, a Memorandum of, of Understanding. So three states petitioned together on that one. And then independently, some states issued a petition on their other populations. So Montana issued a petition on their Northern Continental Divide ecosystem. So and then Idaho did one separate as well. So there's three petitions to the list right now at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service.
0: Gotcha. So and and I, I did know that about. I, I didn't know Montana did the same thing. I, I but I remember when when Idaho and it was just recently yeah very um, and I, but I can't remember if it was for the cabinet mountain, which is the which is the mountain range just north of me here um, that that eco you know region or if it was the one down by kind of like that, you know just out of Yellowstone the the island park and or if that is included in the greater Yellowstone. Ecosystem. that'll I, be
1: in the greater yellowstone um okay so that's this, in that, that greater yellowstone ecosystem yeah. that
0: must have been the one idaho listed then as the cabinet mountains um it the the cabinet mountain range I, i'm not sure if i'm g- naming it right but it is basically the the population that is um you know up here in unit one um out of the cabinet mountains there um so with all this this is this is interesting having you on man because um, Joe you've been you've been involved heavily with bears both grizz and black bears and all this you know bear stuff for mm-hmm. uh, you know going on a, a couple of decades here um, what is your sense and what is your reaction to a lot of the the stuff taking place right now like we you know our, our friends in Washington just uh, basically lost their spring bear season I don't know if they'll ever get that back or if that's uh, how viable that is. Uh, we're looking at California, who seems to like clockwork every year have these uh, this Humane Society of the United States come with this this petition to get rid of their spring bear hunting season or bear hunting in general, uh, because uh, you know it really bothers certain senators in downtown San Francisco uh, that people bear hunt. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you you know, I, I want to get like your reaction, what your, what a lot of, some of your takeaways with, with a lot of the, the fights that are taking place right now, because bears are a sensitive topic. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is and maybe that's something you can answer. Like, what is it about bears? This, this predator, I I get it. They're an iconic species, but in my mind, every species in the West is iconic. Uh, A snowshoe hare is iconic. Uh, you know, the, these are all. Great Western species, and, and bears are like you alluded to earlier. I mean, they're in pretty much the entirety of the the lower 48 in Canada, uh and obviously Alaska. Do they have black bears? And they don't have black bears in Hawaii, right? Or do they? Not to my knowledge. Maybe, Not they, have, to my knowledge. maybe they have some. Strange... That might be the
1: last of the 50
0: that we yeah. have. Yeah, that that's what a... <laughs> I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, um, you know, I and I'm well i won't go there yet we'll we'll, we'll circle back to that uh, mindless thought i just had but <laughs> uh your your takeaway as to what's been going on the last couple of years with these these advocacy, advocacy groups that just have this emotional attachment to bears in this this um negative reaction to managing them through hunting
1: does that make sense yeah it, it, it does and, and it's it's something that we talk about a lot and uh, it, it's it boils Boy. down to the fact that um predators in general garner a lot of support from anti-hunting woke leftists mm-hmm. um and they think that we as uh, you know conservationists sportsmen whatever are trying to eradicate predators uh, to ensure futures uh, large populations for ungulates and, and and it couldn't be farther from the truth but so they grab onto things like predators and and look at what society and, and tv cartoons television all our lives has done with predators is they've turned them into cuddly friendly uh things that are so far from the truth and the reality and so people get with that
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's low-hanging fruit right
2: like let's like go after bear, bear
1: hunters yeah and and it's like yogi and you look know, the jungle book and all these
2: uh, yeah all Baloo, and Baloo all the these bear.
1: super yeah these cartoons that they they so as kids, it's being indoctrined into their head, you know, and then as they get older, if they're not around it like we are, we, we get out of that, right? Can, uh, can
0: I challenge you on ahead. one thing? Yeah. Um, you said that hunters are wanting to basically, we want a predator hunt uh, and we want to control these predators solely for the reason of having more ungulate species so we can hunt them on the landscape. Uh, and, not all
1: and, hunters, and,
0: but and, some do. Yeah, true. And and I I want to I, I would chime in that I I'm super real I, I'm a, I'm very much a realist with this stuff. I don't mind admitting I want fewer wolves so there are more elk. That is yep. not the only reason though. That is not the only reason. Um, I I am frustrated with like elk numbers being so heavily reduced in Idaho because the wolves are out of control. I don't want to eliminate wolves entirely. I just want them controlled so the other species can thrive and hunting is fruitful. And this is the same way like, like Native Americans. When they managed the population of species on the North American continent, they had the same concept. They understood the importance of the balance of all these different species on the landscape, but they wanted the predator species controlled because they were in direct competition with their main food source. Now, we don't have that dynamic, but I, I do think that most hunters... Are dynamic thinkers enough to know that these species are here to stay, whether you love them or hate them? Hate them. We, the wolves are not going away, right? And I don't mean to get off the bear topic.
1: No, and, and, and wolves but, and bears are a little bit different, I think. So totally,
0: totally. I,
1: I'm kind of with I, you. I'm with just. Wolves, like, we have to knock those buggers down.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just using those in as, as an example uh, in terms of the predator predator control, uh, the motivations for a lot of hunter. I, th- I think that it, it is important that we include the fact that we do want the predators controlled to an extent so that there are more ungulate species. But that oh, yeah. is and, how it is supposed to be. That is how it's supposed to be. And that's, that's be.
1: one thing that we always advocate is for is like, we want a lot of bear hunting opportunity. We know that's a species that has to be managed. We are looking for ways to do it and more, you know, opportunities. And, and that's important. I think where I get a little frustrated with uh, giving the anti-spotter is when I see a Facebook post or an Instagram post of a guy that kills a bear and all it says is said another fawn or calf today. Mm. i'm like yeah, so yeah. the only reason you went out hunting was to save a calf yeah. and you shot a three-year-old bear it's like i you know i get that and maybe that is your motivation but it's also like i don't hunt bears for that reason yeah. i hunt bears because i freaking love hunting bears the challenge i love the species if i kill a bear and maybe i save a calf that's an indirect thing that's great but i don't do that's, it for that's that's that reason not why you're
0: out doing it yeah yeah.
1: No, and I think a lot of people think that's why we're out doing it. But, see, the anti-woke left, is, and I hope I don't piss any of your listeners off by saying that. I doubt you have any of, the, yeah, of dude, that demo I was, was going to
0: say, like, I mean, if I haven't pissed them off yet, I wouldn't worry about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, we as predator hunters are low-hanging fruit, yep. right? There's mm-hmm. less of us trapping, cat hunting bear hunting it's it's just their foot in the door and they're like those guys are not as organized as ungulate groups or cervid groups like rocky mountain elk mm-hmm. wild sheep um mm-hmm. those guys are organized mule De- deer foundation really fanatics whoever you want to talk about mule deer space and so they look at that as like we can get some support from people that don't know anything about hunting because we're going to show these bears and these cats and coyotes in a light that Are different than what they should be viewed as and and so they get a ton of support and then they're attacking us so calculated it's not some it's not on some whim that we're seeing this like when you look at different ways they can hit us whether it's at the judicial level filing a court order a petition um, with the commission level at game and fish commissions Mm -hmm. and they're doing it legislatively so yes. we, this year, had all three of those happen, and we had a commission attack in Washington. Yep. Um, we are having a commission attack in California. We've had some legislative stuff in Colorado where they're using legislators. They're trying to get bills passed. And in Colorado, you can't spring bear hunt because a long time ago they passed a bill. Was
0: they it, didn't even yeah, do that was commission. It, was that a legislative action brought on by a voted petition thing that the, the general public voted on?
1: yeah and so those are really hard to change right and Mm -hmm. so when they get beat that's what they tried to do in california last year they had a senator that was going to try and carry this bill and we rallied the troops and everyone flooded his inbox and called his office and he's like whoa okay and and he was like you said just some dude in downtown san francisco that's never even doesn't even know anything about black air management but Hey, I can hang my hat on this. I'm a young senator. Yeah, yeah I'm you a know? young
0: I'm a young senator. I've got all these super woke leftists that run around without any real meaning in life, so they have to attach themselves to a cause that they know nothing about. And I'm 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 trying Absolutely. to stay as calm as I can. Uh, but it, it, <laughs> it's so true. they exactly meddling what's happening. That is that is the root cause of our lives being meddled in because of their yep. clueless nonsense brought on by and, uh, this wokeism emotion and, emotion you know, and it's just woke-ism. And yeah
1: yeah it's, there's there's no rational thought process being used and that's why traditionally a long time ago commissions were formed and these states said let's have a game and fish commission of people that know what they're talking about and dealing with and manage these issues because we in 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 elected office don't really know yeah. And a lot of them, even in states like ours, are clueless to wildlife management. When something happens at the commission level, you hope that the people that are appointed by a governor to be in that position are going to be your ally as a sportsman. Now, they might vote on things you don't like because you want to see this hunting season extended, but it's not. Okay, that's stuff that's different. What you see happening in Washington is a flipping of that commission from a hunting uh, conservation-based uh, kind of demographic on that commission to a pretty much anti-hunting preservationist mentality. And governor, the governor there has appointed people that will be on there for six years now. Yep. So even if he's gone, the new governor will have to deal with them. And so that commission is now not a friend of the sportsman, and, not and they're at doing all. some pretty scary things over there. I, I, yeah. That is the next big thing that I think we're going to see happen in the West is okay. Commissions you can fight us attacking. legislatively. Yeah. I think people are going to start trying to get governors in place this is where it comes really important for sportsmen. You can't. and, and, you know, we always say go to the voting box because your vote counts, like even with your local and state senator, but your governor too. Mm-hmm. But we as sportsmen, we can't we, – they don't carry the vote in Washington. Sportsmen are so outnumbered, no matter what they do, they're not going to get the right guy in there.
0: Totally. And it's, it's like it's three so counties. It's like three counties in, in the state of Washington – that, that run that, that demographic controls the entirety of the state because if you get outside of those three counties Washington is a cool place and it's full of cool Absolutely. people Absolutely, they're, they're like-minded folks they're sportsmen they're they're folks like us that just want the government out of our freaking business and and we want to live our own lives and and go hunting and fishing and pass down those traditions but you go into those three counties where these people just live on top of each other like this you, you know and 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 they get this this uh, mindset, this what what is that called? That groupthink where they don't even know what they're talking about. They're just agreeing with each other. And you know what was really telling Joe is I emailed Lorna Smith, the commissioner over uh, one of the commissioners mm-hmm. over there, who is who's a pretty you, oh, yeah. you know vocal anti-bear hunting, uh, one of the no votes on the on the spring, spring bear commission. I emailed her asking her to come on the show. And let's have a discussion about it. This was before the vote went down. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's. Why don't you come on the show? Bring me your case, and I'll give you my case, and we'll we'll discuss the matter of spring bear hunting. Because um, I I would love you know actually how did I put that something about a person in your position should be heard by the people you are essentially representing. And, and they need to hear it from you. Like nobody hears it from you other than some, some of the people that chime in at the meetings. And her response was, I don't see any point to that because it seems like everybody has made up their mind. And what, and what, oh, Joe, what that
1: tells that's, me uh, she's already she doesn't know anything about it.
0: Exactly. And what that tells me is it's not that everybody else has made up their mind. It's that you have made up your mind. You have made up your mind. You are the one that has been swayed or bought or whatever by whoever to vote against a spring bear hunt based in absolute garbage, theoretical, non-proven emotion. It's it's ludicrous. It's
1: it's funny because that same uh, demographic of people – that are dictating and want us to be controlled and do and, and manage us as sportsmen mm-hmm. are come from that same branch of people that are like, we all have to get along. Let's see each other as who we are and not be, you know, it's like, like, if you do that, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm going to do my thing over here. And we kind of stay of each other's way. It's turning out that sportsmen are like, look, I don't care what you do. Just leave me alone. And they are in that point now where they're the other way around, whether it's their way or the highway, and they want us all to live like they do and 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 be a bunch of freaking wet, left woke idiots that just follow along like sheep um, and are told what to do. That's what they want. They don't think for themselves. They like to be told what to do because thinking's hard,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, they're just going to do whatever uh, is going to benefit their party or them, and they they have to attack people like us that are just – Simple people trying to live a life that we don't. You know, honestly, I could give two craps less of what you do in Seattle or Denver, and I really don't care. But yeah. like, why can't you have that same feeling and thought about what I do here?
0: Exactly. It's it's a it's a good old fashioned live and let live scenario. It's it's a good old uh, mind your business and mind your manners kind of kind of scenario where that just doesn't happen for some reason. And and it it all uh, sorry any Democrat friends I have out there, but it comes it's from the left. It it it's comes. It is entitlement. You are not entitled to dictate my life. It, you, you, I, like I, I use the vegan thing as, as a perfect example. I have no problem with people wanting to be, be vegan. The problem is is the large majority of vegans who find it their business to determine what my dietary needs are and what my yeah. diet like like I have some rule that I need to follow because you're emotionally attached to the notion that being a vegan <laughs> saves the environment and doesn't kill anything. You're wrong you're wrong it's true but but it's, it's not your business right exactly and that's gosh that's one thing it's it's
1: we have we're really strayed in this country and I don't think I have to tell anyone that listens to your show that because they're here for a reason we all believe the same way and and I don't know how we're gonna get back to that I think I think we've just had too many people that have had it too easy in life that mm-hmm. feel like whatever they have as their uh, opinion and their way of life is like they they've never had to be challenged they've never been told no they get their way all the time and probably as kids and that's the way they want it as adults and they throw pissy hissy fits when they don't get it and now a hissy fit is well, i'm gonna get on the commission or i'm gonna call a senator mm-hmm. or i'm gonna get a bill passed and that's where we're at now
0: you know <laughs> i'm gonna donate to the humane society of the united states a bunch of money so that they can run around claiming they're doing something for wildlife which they're not and, exactly. and and if you don't like it, then you're you're offending me, and you're a bad person. And if you're not a vegan, you're a bad person. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't have to supplement my diet with any kind of pill, uh, so I'm good. Like leave me alone. I'm just leave me be. You just leave me alone, <laughs> and that's all it is. Like I don't even want to be mean to vegans, except for when they come at come at us, and and anti hunters, except for when they come at us. I just don't it's, understand. It's a, it's a
1: it's a funny thing too because that group is so mad that they're not more in the conversation of wildlife conservation because we as hunters pay the bill for that right
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and in every state hundred dollars and fishing license dollars are, are paying for the brunt of conservation in those states and we should have a better voice well now they're figuring out how to circumvent they're like look we go to the meetings and no one listens to us because all we do is argue and yell and 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 are irrational So they are circumventing that. And that's what we as sportsmen have got to be prepared for. Like uh, we have got to understand that it's not going to be as simple as them showing up at a season setting meeting anymore. They're going to figure out ways to sue, to get a bill passed Mm -hmm. or to flip a commission. That's what's going to happen.
0: Yep. That's, that's a great point, Joe, that, that is like a three pronged strategy that they have laid out and, and kudos to them for figuring this out because we've as hunters, we're so focused on, on our lifestyle and hunting and our next season and what bow is out or what rifle we want to get. We've been asleep at the wheel with this. And meanwhile, these organizations have been, been uh, funding themselves. They've been organizing and they've been strategizing and, and planning. I'll tell you one problem where kind of down in your neck of the woods, if you cross through the park and end up in Jackson, Wyoming... Man, what oh, yeah. the hell is going on with that town? Like, there <laughs> it's, is... It's, uh, what in the hell, man? I used to go there as a kid. It was the coolest town in the world. And and now it's like this this cesspool of animal rights advocacy advocates and pro-wolf and pro-grizzly groups that are born out of this. You know, like, wh- like the fuck is in the water there? Where are these people no getting one's, their information?
1: No, one's, no one in Jackson's from Jackson anymore. That's no, the problem. No. You know, like, that Wyoming way of life and, and and Eastern Idaho kind of mentality that that we had down there for we talked about it at work the other day what an amazing area my goodness like oh, yeah for the freaking state of Wyoming that is one of the greatest places but then you go there and some of my biggest haters are there it's just it's a it is a uh, it's the blue part of our state
0: in Wyoming. I'll say that. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny too, because it, it's not just kind of a shade of blue. It's dark blue. I mean, it oh is boy. like, yep. there are some crazy ass groups. If you get oh. on Instagram and find them, uh, like these pro wolf groups, uh, they're all based wow. out of there. Wow. Like yeah. really you seriously. Got,
1: you got that photographer. There's a lot of great sportsmen that are photographers, but a lot of the Jackson photographers are not sportsmen. And they're making a ton of money off the resource that we pay to have on the landscape for, you know, this grizzly bear. The only reason the photographers in Jackson and and some of these areas that are anti-hunting don't want grizzly bears hunted is because that goes, there goes their cash cow. If we get a couple of the bears reduced, you know, how are they going to make money on grizzly bear pictures and so it's it's because what, there's so many it, angles to it.
0: There is so many angles, Joe, and and that's a great point you make because what what they don't understand. Well, they might understand. I don't know, but but what will what the the reasonable consequence to a hunting season for for a grizzly bear like right now? And I I just talked about this on a recent episode, but there the, the grizzly bears have nothing to fear. That's why. You know we've got people out there getting killed, and and you know somebody goes out shed hunting and they get wiped out by a damn grizzly bear. Grizzly bears fear nothing. A a, a good robust hunting season that manages the numbers, controls the numbers, and puts a little bit of fear of humans into the into, into the behavioral aspect of a grizzly bear will go a long way. Grizzlies are a lot like wolves; they will learn super fast to avoid humans. And so that's going to make it even more tough for them to go get their little their 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 pictures. And um, it's funny you say that because there was a group in Jackson, uh, and I follow these guys on Facebook, or uh, not Facebook uh, on Instagram because they provide me with all sorts of fun content. Um, but they they talked about the exact thing you just brought up, Joe, is like they're they're going um, when when it comes to funding. For the state of Wyoming and wildlife management, um, wildlife photographers and bird watchers raise more money than hunters do, but they were talking specifically about wolves, wolf hunting, and the and the dollars that wolf hunting and trapping generate in the state of Wyoming. There, So so it's an unfair argument because, A, there's a lot of hunters that are also wildlife photographers, so you don't know if they're there photographing elk in the park and then turning around and going hunting elk on the montana side or something right yep. um you don't know if they're fly fishing one day and then wildlife photography the other day and then the, the bird watching the the third day yeah you know they don't know how to put that together plus they conveniently leave out all other hunting fees um of of that is involved with with wyoming hunting when when you take just the wolf hunting tags that are sold sure there's probably more tourism do- dollars from those other those other things but when you start putting in deer elk uh bear and the non-resident fees and fishing licenses and all these other things there's no competition i'm sorry no and and the funny thing too
1: is we get back on what these groups are doing and how they're calculated is you have say two groups say Bi- center for biological diversity and western watersheds Uh Like we, the sportsman groups are busy with a lot of things, you know, us all volunteer don't have a lot of people and, and you got all these groups, but these groups is all they do is find ways to litigate and do a bear bait ban and do this and that. And then it comes time to put their money where their mouth is. And it's like, you want to do something for bears? Okay. Give us a hundred thousand dollars for this uh, black bear research program. Oh, we don't know. You know? so it's like, and I would never ask them, but I'm trying to highlight a point: is none of them spend money on the resource they're trying to protect. All they're trying to do is litigate to ensure that hunters can't uh, go out and hunt. So they what, don't care about the animal.
0: So what you're saying is they're like they're 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 raising money and asking asking people for money to like raise to litigate and pay for attorneys and stuff like that versus.
1: Exactly, yep. and then how they line their pockets are, there's that, um, there's the, uh, shit I don't know why it escapes me, um, the Equal Act of Justice or Equal Justice Act or whatever.
0: Mm, I know what you're if talking
1: they, about. Yeah, if they sue the federal government and win, they get paid. Yep. And so how do they stay relevant? How do people donate to them? Well, the people that are donating to them wanna see them doing something. I don't mm-hmm. like bear hunting, okay. We will litigate if you give us money. We'll stop bear hunting in the West. Okay, I'll give you a couple million dollars. So they do a suit. They get a couple million dollars. If they lose, they're like, oh, sorry, we'll try again. So that's how they stay relevant, right? They're not doing anything on the ground to stay relevant Exactly. like we are. They're just litigating, and then their membership's like, great job. Here you go, more money. And then they're like, hey, by the way, we won that case, so we got paid by the federal government which is taxpayer dollars, mine and yours. Yep, yep. So that's how they stay relevant. Like, if you look back at some of their work, it's not a lot of it's on the resource they are claiming to try to protect.
0: No, it, it's it's almost, I mean, it's It's laughable how much is actually towards a resource. Especially yeah. loud, boisterous organizations like the Humane Society of the United States. They don't do yeah. jack shit for wildlife management. <laughs> they don't no, do they jack don't. shit.
1: I'm sorry. It's it's true. Like, I've never seen, and I could be wrong, but, like, I've never seen, like, this project was funded by the Humane Society and Center for Biological Diversity to try to understand ungulate (laughs) populations. Dude, I am
0: writing a book. I'm writing a book, and I'm legitimately trying to find things that the Humane Society of the United States, which is the largest funded um, anti-hunting organization – I could find. Well, I, I don't know if I should say that. I don't know if they're the largest or the the, the highest funded. Uh, but the, put it to you this way: they they rake it in. They rake in oh, millions loaded. and millions of dollars. Um, I want to say it's around 160 million a year. Um, and anyway, I really tried uh, between their website and and searching for projects or habitat improvement or species uh development. Um, research all these things to try to get some real information of of good things they've done. And literally, I'm not kidding you. They saved some dogs from families with coronavirus and stopped a department <laughs> store from selling fur. Uh, none of which is wildlife management um, related. No, the, the, I mean the, they the got fur, some big executives. They got. They pay. do. They do. I mean, some big, big money, big, big donors. Um, and so you're exactly right, man. We, we could do this like all week, man. We can make the longest oh, yeah. podcast it's ever a, about this.
1: <laughs> There's a really cool group out there. I know you know of them, but Hal for wildlife is doing a good job of bringing oh, yeah. more of this to light, you know, and like, um, trying to try to, to kind of be that even and, and, and make sure that we as sportsmen, because you know, we, the, the sportsman community and fishing and, and just anyone that outdoor recreates or is a consumptive user, I'll say, uh, we, we have the same tools that the anti-hunting and the leftist woke group does. We just are not great at using them as a whole. Uh, we're getting better. And I think that's where this, like howl comes in mm-hmm. and us using our social media presence and, and email and, and being able to get out there. It's like, we can do the same thing they're doing and we just need to continue to try and advance in that space because that's where they're really strong. You know, so they took social media to another level to get support. We yeah. can do the same thing. We just need to, you know, it's crazy when you look at like, I think the, like some of these states where you think there's a ton of sportsmen, there there are, but like, you just don't get a ton of engagement from them on issues. And a lot of it's because they just don't know, or they don't know where to find it. And so that, that's a, that's a huge challenge for, for our groups.
0: Well, and they're not, I, one of the ways that I've explained that Joe is, is, is they're not activists, right? Hunters are. No. We're, and and I'm not saying that as a like I'm I'm throwing rocks or anything. That it, it's no. That's just the nature of it. We're 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 people. I almost said dudes, but there's uh you know I can't say that. Like my my <laughs> daughter's nailed some turkeys yesterday. Um, it, it's a sport that's that's got a. There's some growing parts of the demographic like like female hunters. Uh, as I was just saying that. Uh, that aspect is growing. Um. But, but the thing is, is it's just the nature of who we are as a people. We're hardworking. Uh, a lot of us are blue-collar guys or gals, yep. and and we're, our minds are on raising our families and making sure there's food on the table and looking forward to the next hunting season and saving our money to buy that new scope for our, our elk rifle. Um, all those things that kind of play into our lives Where, you know, it's not like we were raised to be activists or we feel entitled to impose our lifestyle on other people, so that breeds activism in itself, Uh, where the other side, the anti-hunting side, they are activists. These are yep. activists and they're fanatics. They're professional. They are they're, professional. They're professionals. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great point. They, they, they're professional at this. They've had a lot of time to, to to put all this together in a strategic way with a lot of fun funding uh, and and a lot of bullshit science that, that they claim is science that is really just it's 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 BS. Like like in Washington. This this whole discussion, I'd love to get your take on this, this whole discussion about we shouldn't hunt spring bears because they come out and they're lethargic and blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. I, I live in North Idaho where we have some pretty horrendous winters. And you're in Cody. I think you you get more wind than I'll, I'll ever dream of. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> but... um. Here it is. As the date of this recording, it is the 14th of April, which means spring bear opens tomorrow in the state of Idaho. The bears are already awake. They've been awake for a couple of weeks. I've had them on my cameras. They're, they're already uh-huh. moving around. Um, it's not like we're sitting there like Elmer Fudd outside of a cave waiting <laughs> for the bear to come out and yawn and rub its eyes and then BAM! you know we should. That's not how it works, Lorna Smith. That's not how that it's, shit works. It's so absurd. It's, yeah, what's your take the, on it? The, man? Let's take a quick break to give our show sponsors some well-deserved love. Let's start with Scree Extreme Mountain Gear, high-performance hunting attire and gear. Scientifically tested camo patterns, complete layering systems. And in my opinion, the finest merino wool products to keep you warm, dry, and comfortable. It's all backed by a great company. Some of my personal favorites of the in the Scree lineup are the Hard Scrabble pants uh, for early to mid season, and then as it gets colder, I switch to the Kodiak pants for late season. The Bridger glassing mitts are like game changers, and I love the Neva rain gear. Scree offers great packages on the website as bundles, like the Elk bundle that will completely outfit you for your favorite hunt. Oh, and my favorite part, you won't need to refinance your house to get outfitted. Try the starter bundle for less than 500 bucks. It's an insane deal. With the VIP sizing guarantee, you can exchange something that doesn't fit for free. I just had to do this for something that I got my wife. It was a little big, so I just sent it back. They covered the shipping both ways and exchanged it for the right size. So go to screegear.com and at checkout, use promo code the for 15% off and free shipping. Phelps Game Calls, one thing that I love about companies that are born out of hunting, is their story. Like Phelps Game Calls, the American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something big. Like Phelps, he started this company kind of as a hobby in his garage in 2009. Now, a little over a decade later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet for good reason, they're the most realistic calls on the market and that is saying something. Check out the amp lineup. For predator calls like the POR, one, two, three pack POR123 or the fawn in distress, check those out. Turkey calls, get a diaphragm, a pot call, or a box call, and a complete line of waterfowl calls. Hit up the website and at checkout, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Phelps game calls, get them close the elk collective the best investment for hunting success is what's between your ears having elk hunting knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while against those who notch tags every year there's a very fine line there and there's a perfect amount of time if you're listening to this now to get through the entire course before september improve your chances with a virtual course of over 140 videos that cover things like how to get elk tags throughout the west scouting and e-scouting Beginner to advanced elk calling, gear, fitness, nutrition, shooting processes, hunting scenarios, strategies, and tons more. They've got some very big names on this platform that give you their personal expertise As you go through the course, it's the best way to make you the best elk hunter as you get into the woods. So, go to theelkcollective.com and use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for $20 off. It's normally $89, so when you use my promo code, it's going to be the best $69 you've spent on elk hunting, and I guarantee you it's worth every penny. Check it out, guys. Hoffman Boots. Let me give you guys a piece of advice from a dude with many miles on his feet never skimp on quality hunting boots. Hoffman Boots is a fourth generation family-owned company based in North Idaho. I've been sporting a pair of Hoffman's for close to a decade particularly I like the Hoffman Explorer in the 8 inch. In my most humble opinion again, Hoffman offers the most comfortable hunting boot that does the least amount of damage to my feet after several miles on the mountain. Very little break-in period on these boots by the way Uh, I took them right out of the box and went on a crazy elk hunt, not even a blister. For hunting, they have the Explorers in the Summit boot offered in insulated and non-insulated. And ladies, check out the new Women's Hoffman Explorer 400. They also carry lineman boots, winter pack boots, logging boots, and hiking boots. Get totally outfitted at HoffmanBoots.com and at checkout, as you know, it's coming. Use promo code, all caps lock, Huntsman10 for 10% off. Last but not least, Tacticam. If you're interested in self-filming your hunts, whether for, you know, memories or making hunting content, check out the Tacticam products like the Spotter LR, Tacticam 5.0, and the Film-Through Scope System, all of which are available at westernhuntsman.com, which helps support our fight against the anti-hunting movement. But my favorite is the Tacticam Reveal Cell Cams. I use these cell cams all over my property, and I'm like obsessed with monitoring the wildlife in real time with these cameras. They not only text me instantly when a buck or a bear is cruising through, my reveals make for excellent security systems. I know when the FedEx dude is delivering packages way down at the bottom of our driveway, and I also know if some knucklehead shows up to try to steal them. I know when someone's trespassing or if I have the kind of wildlife roaming around that I don't want, you know, like a coyote and uh, I quickly react with my cat-like reflexes. Great for trappers, great for hunters, uh, security, anything, guys. Check it out at Tacticam.com because I don't have the reveals on my website right now. Uh, Let them know I sent you. Tacticam.com. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. The the sad thing about
1: that whole thing was you had uh, uh, Stephanie Simic, uh, their, their bear biologist who was like and their whole department was like look we don't see an issue with this
0: yeah no they didn't follow and like we didn't follow the and experts.
1: they kept delaying it and going like well we need more information they're like we're giving you all the information like in and, and so it was like if they just listen to the people that know what they're talking about and put their their emotion out of the way it's fine we're good mm-hmm. and and one thing i always tell people that are like we can't we gotta watch so many bears and da 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 i'm like look one thing that has been constant since we put our feet on the soil of this country is we've been hunting bears. Yep. And even before that, the native Americans did it. And what's, what what are we seeing right now? Why all that constant hunting has been going on record populations of black bears. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pretty good uh, little token to say, how is hunting ruining black bear populations?
0: Yeah, it, no, it is not such a good <laughs> point that's such a. Good it is point.
1: not and the spring bear thing is silly it, it is just silly it's a limited quota spring hunt to, to I top it all off
0: i know it's not, it's even, not even like an over-the-counter thing
1: yeah it's i mean no it's,
0: what was it like it's 250 tags
1: it, for the amount of bears that are in washington it's like ridiculously low like i think mm-hmm. washington in the lower 48 is one of the highest density bear states there is yeah and oh, they have a ton they of have state. a. they have a spring quota a limited quota entry. I'm like, that is silly. And there's guardrails in place. So we don't kill sows with cubs or we don't kill cubs. Like we, there's regulatory mechanisms in there to debunk everything that they're saying. Totally. But it was just, when you have a commission and they knew going into it, they're like, I got these people talk. They're like, I bet we can get them in a four to three vote. Are you on my side? You on their side. They knew they had it. The second they got their new appointees and it was a done deal.
0: Yeah. I was super worried with the, with the new appointees and, and uh, man, what a blow. What, what a freaking it, it blow. Is. Um, and
1: now it's supposed to be our avenue to, to manage wildlife. And, and <laughs> now I look at it as a laughable uh, commission. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just don't think they're ever going to do anything science-based conservation-wise.
0: They, they don't have any credibility. Um, if, nope. if, if they would have listened to their own biologists and, yep. and followed what the advice was of their own biologists and, uh, you know, understood the outcry, the public outcry from sportsmen and and the conservationists that actually know the, the real biological science that goes into the wildlife management systems and a spring bear that is less than 10% of the population in tags of which only like, I don't know, 60 or 70% of those tags. It, it was a high ratio of success. Uh, in the state of Washington, but that that speaks to the the robust population that is there, and so yeah. um, it, it's a it's just a it's this big combination of uh, it's it's this big bag of bullshit that got blown it out is. of proportion. It's really what it is, carried by this these commission that had an agenda from the beginning, and now. Our friends in Washington are screwed out of a bear season in the spring. They can't even draw. It was already a draw, and now they, they don't even have that option. There's there's guides over there that depend on that revenue for their guiding service. And, y- you know, you can bet if it was some liberal uh, company selling vegan tofu out of a Chevy pick, or no, it wouldn't be a Chevy. It'd be like a one of those hybrid cars, or whatever. what are those called? A Prius. Prius. Selling that. You know the, the the state would never step in and, and and infringe on that type of business, but a but a, a bear hunting outfitter, screw them, man, screw them and their their families and and a, the revenue that they were depending on from the spring bear hunt. I'm so mad about yeah. it, man. I'm so. I'm so
1: it it makes it. me crazy, and 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 the, it's just it, it's going to be something that we're going to have to keep our eye on everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. you know. It, you're even starting to see it down in Southwest, uh, Arizona, New Mexico and stuff, where you don't traditionally think that stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Well, they're going to see this and they're going to be like, huh, how did they get that done in Washington? Let's do that.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. It's going to spread. That's, mm-hmm. that's why we have to watch it. We have to pay attention in California what's going on there. Um, yep. When is that? When, when is the deadline for the California Th- situation? This week. This is, week is coming this up. This Yep. I think it's
1: the 20th. I think they're going to hear it like that Thursday or Friday. Okay. Um, they'll, they'll hear, they'll decide on that petition. So there's still time to, uh, they're going to, uh, Hal's going to do a big, uh, like a pre-meeting with anyone on Zoom that wants to get on there. If you get on their website, you can get on there, talk about the issue. And then they're going to have a comment period, I believe the, the next day or like two days later during the meeting. And then the commission will decide whether or not to like move forward with it or not.
0: Because it's a it's a petition, right, to end bear hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a petition that is based on just total dog shit, science yep. Yep. and research that I was just laughing at most of it. Um but that they they have the they have the power as that commission to say, look, this is stupid, it's gone. Yeah. Or they can say, Well, this might merit some some information from and so that's kind of where we're at with that but yeah it's a big important uh, day next week
0: have you gone on to the California Fish and wildlife um, website I, I think it's fish and wildlife I can't I can't keep up with all these different state agencies I know <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 pulled up the uh, the commissioner tab and actually read what these commission like their backgrounds uh, I haven't like read on the actual
1: um, commissioners. I've been on that commission tab a bunch, but I haven't actually read on the the actual commissioners much.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, I have. I, I, I'm i worried for California, man. I, I, I'm Are worried you? for California. It's uh, the the commission from, from what is written on the kind of like the, their little biographies and stuff, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. So, uh, I'm that's hoping, unfortunate. I, I'm hoping the sportsman's voice can can have more of an impact than it did in Washington. And it's gonna take a lot, man, because hunters were vocal in Washington. I I am actually for me, I'm I, I know we we spend a lot of time uh ragging on sportsmen being asleep at the will and hunters being asleep at the will when these issues come up because they have been in the past. But I tell you what, um more than I've ever seen did sportsmen come together and hunters, you know, rally. Uh, in Washington. Absolutely. And and it just across
1: the country. Oh uh, yeah. Like. Yeah.
0: I, I had dudes emailing me from Georgia uh asking how they can help Washington hunters. And mm-hmm. and so I was sending them. I just sent everybody to Hal for Wildlife at this point. Um and and go go sign up for that and send send everything through there and the, and they they send the messages. But I still think even with something like Hal for Wildlife, it's important for individual hunters to jump on and and just copy and paste email addresses uh, individually and write your own personal note to whether it's a legislator or a commissioner. I promise they get those because I I'm hearing more and more that you know some of these big group messages. That are just kind of, um, you know, pre-formulated or whatever. They oftentimes will fall on deaf ears. But if it's those combined with personal messages, personal emails coming from personal accounts, uh, those those get read uh, quite heavily um, and and taken into consideration. So it's just it's yep. there's just not a lot we could do to take our take our foot off the pedal. So um, let's kind of switch gears, man. Um, yeah. Before I have an aneurysm and get more gray hair, and you know,
1: <laughs> it is maddening.
0: <laughs> We've got uh, like I like I mentioned and you mentioned it earlier. Um, Spring bear opens tomorrow. In some states, it's open already. Is it, it's not open in Wyoming yet, right? It opens tomorrow.
1: Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. That uh, we have some archery only stuff opening tomorrow. I think um, there is some wilderness stuff that opens earlier in the fall, but I think right now. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, all the earliest hunt for bears is archery only April 15th.
0: So, um, and just, so everybody listening to this, obviously we recorded this last week as of the time you're either, you know, uh, driving in your truck or whatever, listening to this episode. Uh, so when we say tomorrow, it is the 14th of April. So tomorrow for the for April the 15th. <laughs> so, yes. um, Bear season opens tomorrow. There's a lot of uh, bear hunters in this audience, a lot of new hunters, a lot of veteran hunters, a lot of kind of in-between hunters um, that are gearing up for this this spring bear. Um, unfortunately, our, our friends in Washington aren't. aren't, um, But hopefully they're getting tags in other states, and um, they're going yeah, to come down to Wyoming. Yeah, a lot of
1: over-the-counter opportunities. Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. I mean, yeah, there is yeah, a lot there of really opportunity are. for them.
0: There really are and um that so that that is a viable option like uh and it's not that far i mean I, I don't know about you joe but i i spend a lot of time in my truck so um oh yeah i would totally drive i like if i lived in in like d- the tacoma area i would totally drive to wyoming for a bear hunt or idaho or, or montana it's not that far anyway yeah uh, sorry guys. I'm, I don't mean to promote non-resident hunting by God. That's a sin, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's out there and, and we need to support those guys cause they, they lost their bear hunt. So let's leave that there and talk about, um, between there is, there is basically the way I see it. There are three ways to hunt a bear. Well, there's probably a lot more, but three main ways there's baiting. There is uh, spot and stock and there is calling for bears, and I'd love to get your feedback on on those as as we're kind of going into spring 2022 bear season. Let's start with baiting though. Um
1: I don't want you to forget one cuz you're going to alienate a big group of bear hunters.
0: Okay, oh hounds, hounds. Houndsmen, yes. I, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you you're right. I I am I'm going to smack myself right now for missing my, yeah. hound, my my brothers and sisters out there behind the hounds.
1: <laughs> we love them, so yeah. Yes. Uh, no baiting. Uh, it's, it's interesting baiting. when well, I grew up in Montana, where we couldn't bait, and and that's where I learned about bear hunting mostly. So when I moved to Wyoming, I was like, holy crap, you can bait here. I know nothing about it, but I'm gonna try it. And so I had uh, got some bait sites and started bait hunting and fell in love with it for a couple reasons. One was like you're it's, you have a more intimate, I would say like interaction with bears when you're bait hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I learned more about the actual species and like their nuances and how they live and what they do on a daily basis, uh, bait hunting than I did ever as a spot and stock hunter. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. Like you get to observe bears more bait hunting and you get to learn about them with the cameras. Now we have, and like their travel and, you really become a student of black bears when you're bait hunting. Like you are so in on knowing all about them because that's how you're bringing them to your bait. And so I love it for that. Like so many times I've sat in my tree stand and not even thought about taking the bear that was at the barrel, because I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here. This is amazing. Like I'm 20 yards away from this bear, you know, and it's like, I can hear it chewing and I just love that aspect of it. And, really too, um i i encourage people that have never done it to try it if you're on the fence like or go with someone because everyone thinks you know there's that whole misconception that bait hunting is like this super easy thing and throw some donuts out and you're gonna get a bear and Mm. it is it couldn't be farther from the truth it it has cost me more because i do both and and i'm i'm i will say like spot and stock is is in my blood i love it but bait hunting costs me more money and gas and, and bait and all the stuff that we use more time, more energy. I mean, the, the, the trips hauling bait to where we go are exhausting. Oh yeah. Uh, And it's just so much work and you have so much invested in it and people think a little different. Like we just throw stuff out and Oh yeah, well there's a bear and you know, it's not that way. Like it, it is a lot harder than it seems. And so when people say like, Oh, you don't, that's not hunting. I, I, I disagree. It <laughs> I is totally uh, it's disagree. absolutely hunting. Yeah. And uh, it's a way that we can hunt and manage the species. We can also learn about the species. And what a great way to get new bear hunters in the sport. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: you take a kid out that you're dragging around the mountains every night trying to find a bear for him through the glass and like, man, we're not doing it. But you can plop him in front of a barrel in maybe a couple days look over a couple bears and like have some cool interaction with them and, and teach them about bears. I'm like, that's such a great way to get kids or new hunters into the sport is bait hunting. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love it. And it's, it's a great tool.
0: Can I, can I add one thing to what you were talking about to as to the mm-hmm. the difficulty level with baiting is yes. like you said, people, people have this perception that you just throw some donuts out there or whatever. And then you sit there. Uh, it's not like that. Is it's not like that at all. You have to locate an area to set your bait in which the wind isn't going to give you away, in which sound, s- sight. You, you know, you got to remember that bears smell. What was it like? Four million times better, or something crazy uh, than, than humans. It's it's not four million. But yeah, they can smell two miles away. They can smell two miles away, and it's, they uh, better they are than a bloodhound. They have yeah. ridiculous noses. And what I noticed about bears, man, is they are not, like elk will, especially in the rut, they will periodically drop their nose guard. They they will drop their guard when it comes to scent, and they will come out a, out of curiosity and check something out. Bears, I don't think do that. I, I really? think they, they don't ever throw caution to the wind and say, screw it, let's see what happens. They live by their noses, and so the way you set up on your bait, and the way those thermals are going and the way that the, whether you're, you know, side healing or up, up on top of a ridge or down in the bottom of drainage or, or whatever, wherever you're set up can really wreak havoc and play chaos on, on your setup. Like you'll, you'll have bears all over your camera when you're not there, but when you're there, nothing shows up. Uh, and so it's, it's difficult. Yeah. I. It totally is
1: agree. their nose. Like you said, they, they don't, they don't, there's one sense that they might not trust over time they, so they they might see something i've seen them do this where they see you but they're like look i can't really make out what that is i'm cool mm-hmm. they never not listen to their nose exactly their nose is everything and like you said they will not i mean even if it's during the like the ruts different for them right so they're not like it, it's just crazy how great their nose is and how much of a challenge you have and i learned so much about wind you know growing up i archery hunted I rifle hunt now and I archery hunt a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I I learned more about wind, uh, baiting than I ever did hunting elk and deer in Montana. Yeah. I'm just like, holy crap. Like there's so much that goes into it that you just, you can't just go, like you said, you got to put in a lot of time and research into your area. And, you know, a lot of people say, i always say this, like you can feed bears. That's one thing. Go ahead. Anyone can anyone can feed the damn things. But trying to get one in the daylight in front of you when you're there is a whole different story.
0: Yeah. Totally. I learned a valuable lesson too on somebody I I was kind of showing off my bait barrel that I'd made. And I made the holes too big. So the bears were able to get whether I'm putting popcorn or dog food or whatever in the bottom of this barrel. Um it made it pretty easy for them, and some some dude got on and chimed in, and he's like, man, like exactly what you said, Joe. You're not trying to feed the bears. You're trying to bait the bears, and you've made it too easy for them to feed, and so I went through a ton of bait out of that barrel, so I got rid of that barrel and replaced it. Um, yeah. No, I love this stuff, man. I, l-
1: I learned a lot from Tad and Jeff over there, Tad Sherman and Jeff Morris, that, you know, like I said, yeah. I, I only been baiting for like 15, 16 years now. And, uh, like, I think every year I think I haven't figured out and something happens, but like minimizing my barrel size, hole, the holes in my barrel, cause I can't make trips every day to fill it. And you don't want to be in there every day. Um, so I shrunk down my hole sizes a bunch. I make it harder for them to get the bait out the best I can, because I don't want them eating it all while I'm gone. And then... Mm-hmm. I don't go back for two days and there's no food. They're going to leave eventually, especially in Idaho where there's a high concentration of baits. Wyoming's funky. We have one mile uh, units that we get square by square. And we're the only ones that can bait in that square. Oh, really? So, yeah. So we have some regulation there where it's like, hey, this is my square. I can bait it. Now, anyone can hunt in there, but I'm the only one that can put bait legally in that unit. So
0: how do you you get your square mile? So what you do – is
1: they have an a, a, a allocation period where you go online and you say, I want this square mile, and if it's available, you can get it. Then say you get your square mile. You, you pick a spot this year, and you love it. Best square mile you've had, it's a great bear spot, and, and you want to keep it. Well, the following year, they have a preference period. So they have a window where anyone that has a bait site from the year before that wants to keep that bait site all you do is simply log in claim it again and you're good if you don't claim it then it goes up for public again Mm. and so it's all regulated like i've had the same bait site for 15 16 years the one really good one i've had and um i'll do everything in my power never to lose it but you see guys moving around a lot and so that's what they have to do but you you it is really nice that we take away that i've heard horror stories in idaho
2: yeah no that is that is pretty nice we don't
1: have that we don't have that here so it also limits the bait density so where if if i don't maybe get to my barrel for three or four days and it gets low like those bears are going to travel a longer distance to get to another bait where in idaho you might have a guy 200 yards away Mm -hmm. you know and and you gotta keep it full yeah yeah. And, and so that's, that's, but I, I like it because I can't be there if it's 70 miles till I even get to where I park. And so then I have to drive over there after work, go up, bait it. And, and so I try and do it to where I'm not in the bait a lot. I don't want my scent around a ton. Um, I want them comfortable in the bait. I want lots of bait there. I want them coming and going as they please. And I want more bears in there than I can handle because then they start competing for that food source and that's when you can draw those bores in, usually, is when there's some competition around.
0: And I, I got a question for you, um, kind of uh-huh. a new, newbie question here. When you're when you're baiting your barrel, are you using one of those barrels that, like, the, the you, you seal the lid on with that bracket thing, like like mine?
1: Yeah, I, you guys have a funky thing. I think you guys have to use metal, right? I don't think so. I, I, I could be well, totally so wrong. I, use, I just, I everybody does, plastic. so I do. I use plastic barrels. They're lighter. Um, They're so much lighter. And I use a 30-gallon one because I backpack mine in quite a ways. So I just use, like, a not a 55 or whatever that is. I use the next size down. And then what we do is uh, I have a buddy that builds them. He actually cuts a a small square in the top of it through that plastic, and we put a latch on it. And that's how I get the bait in. And then I shut it and latch it. And then I have a small – Man, it's not a very big hole on the front, and then I have some holes on the side, tiny little one-inch holes on the side, to let like grease come out and mm-hmm. let them get a piece of popcorn or dog food here and there. And then I ratchet strap them to the tree and chain them a little bit higher, so they can't just like muscle that thing around and tip it over and get all the stuff out. Gotcha. So that's what okay. I use is a I use a plastic barrel.
0: So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question um to to you listeners out there. Specifically, Officer Steve Roberts. Um, if if you guys know about that, and I, obviously I can look it up when we're done recording, but um, it's it's a good little little exercise here. If you guys know if you, if we can use plastic in the state of Idaho for a barrel, let me know. Uh, email Jim at the Western Um uh, I, again, I'll, I'll look it up, but I, the, the point is is I want to know, and I'll announce it on the next episode and, and just try to have it a solid answer for you guys. Um, my question was, Joe, when you're rebating your barrel, whether it's plastic or metal or whatever, um, do you, like, wear gloves to keep your, your scent off the barrel itself, or is that, like, overkill?
1: No. So I have a weird... I've done some hunting trips up in Canada and I've seen some pretty unique situations up there. They do have a of bears, so it's a little different, but I actually want, I want my scent in there, but I don't want my scent in there to where they're like, dude, this guy is never not here. So I only come in in the dark. Like I want my scent in there when I set the bait. So then when they decide to come in, they, they, they smell me, mm-hmm. but they decide to come in and I'm gone. And they're like, OK, nothing bad happened. And for like three weeks until we start hunting it or two weeks, they're still smelling me and they're getting a food reward. They're smelling me getting a food reward. And then I slip in there, not go to the barrel. And whether or not I'm with someone or whatever, I slip in there and we try and take him and they're like, oh, it's the same smell that's been in here. So I try and keep. I do try and keep like when I'm going to rebate and stuff, minimal, uh, people at the barrel. So it's the same people or just that same scent. And I've actually hung, I've done this before. Like if I'm the one hunting and I know I'm the guy that's going to be hunting, I'll hang like the day we set baits, I'll hang a sweaty ass t-shirt above where I'm going to sit.
0: Ah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you.
1: And then, like, for the first couple weeks when those bears are coming in and they catch that whiff, they get comfortable with it enough to where they're like, I'll come sneak in here at dark. And sometimes I feel like that helps me, and that's just mine. I've heard so many different, like, people and different uh, point of views on this, and none of them are wrong. Um, I think it's just whatever works for each person. Some people are, like, total maximists, like, Rubber boots, rubber gloves. Yeah, yeah. And, I've, and I've heard I've, those extremes. I've, go- I've gone through that too in my head. I'm like, maybe I should be doing this. Like, I've had a bad year, and then it's mm. like, well, for me mentally, that's what works. But I, I don't think any of them are wrong. But that's what I do.
0: No, and I was, I was. That was one of the lead. Um, I'm sorry. Follow up questions to to what you're saying is, uh, I got a buddy who he's he's a he's a guide for for bear. Uh, up here in my neck of the woods, and and that's exactly what he said was hang a shirt like a sweaty shirt, kind of in the vicinity of your your bait barrel, uh, and it, that that gets them a little more comfortable with with your scent. Um, obviously that's going to be, you know, stronger when you're there than just a just a sweaty shirt three days later, but uh, it it, it does help, and so that's that's what he was saying, and so I just kind of wanted to bounce that off of you and see what you thought. And um,
1: yeah, that's I, enough I for me, I have a couple shirts I have hold they chew on them they end up chewing on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have so a couple don't, that don't are take chewed like on. a nice so shirt. Don't put your best shirt up there. I got one that I use and it's funny like I'll run my baits in and I'm all sweaty and I take that off, change my shirt, and that's one I'll hang. And and it seems to work. Um I think like the alarm bell just is not as loud in their head. And mm. and that's what ultimately leads to success in baiting is a little bit of comfortability. They always know they're doing something wrong. If you watch them come in, they I think they always know you're there. And I think they always know they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. They never uh, little bears will come running in like, but like a good bear is like they're sneaking in, they're looking over at you, and it's almost like, dude, that thing knows I'm here. Yeah. But it, it, it probably doesn't, but it's smelling and it's just like. Okay, nothing's really that much different than last night.
0: Something's off. I'm going to
1: sneak in here. Yeah, so I think that with baiting, it's just comfortability. Now, I like my bait sites and my tree stands to be close. Like, that's a lure for me. What do you I know guys out here, I like to be, like, 30, 40 yards if I'm rifle hunting even. I'll put my bait at, like, my tree stands. Right now I have one because we've been doing some veteran hunts and some youth hunts. I have the stand about 100 yards back, and it's a ground blind I built. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you know, if I'm hunting, I have tree stands that are like in that same bait or different baits where I'll have them like 30 yards, even with a rifle, those farther ones, wind is not going to be as big of an issue. It's still important, but there's guys I know that are like my baits 300 yards and they don't seem to have problems with those bears coming in in the daylight, you know, but.
0: Huh? That, that's a
1: I, I. I don't There's know. some guys that'll whack a bear a long ways out over bait. and You know, it works for them. And, I guess um, that, I,
0: it would work. It would work. I just, I, it feels like it takes away some of the intimacy of bait, baiting for me. I, for I don't me, know.
1: I like that close up. Like, I yeah, want to be you know, like, oh man, nothing's right behind me. You know, like,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I love that, but it's not for everyone. Some people get a little unnerved with it too. And so like, I think that's another thing to look at. Like if you're just kind of like getting into it, like maybe the first year set back a little bit and just kind of see what's doing and then maybe be like next year i want to get a little closer and move in and like ease into the learning a, a little bit more not try and tackle like an eight yard shot with your bow and your tree stand the first year you've ever done it
0: yeah that makes sense um hmm that's a lot of good information, man. I'm gonna to have to listen to this episode back so I can I can like I, I need to I need to figure out how to like take notes when I have experts like you on the show. <laughs> well you got it you well, got I'm the talking.
1: ability to listen over again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can I can totally do. I have the technology. Um <laughs> what uh, what about spot and stock? You got like uh top three of your your, your, your like best tips for, for people out there spot and stocking?
1: I do. It, it, it's spot patience and stock hunting. is number one. I said that right. Uh, <laughs> patience and consistency is the number one thing I will tell anyone that wants to start spot and stop hunting um you have got to be able to put in time and you've got to be able to put in that time like on a consistent basis it, it's just different than deer and elk hunting right like you're not going to go out and find a herd and, and oh I saw like eight elk today or I saw 10 bulls and you're looking for one animal that likes to be hidden in a forest mm-hmm. and not be seen and you're you're often looking in a lot of country, and so what what I learned a long time ago with it was like if you're gonna commit to spot and stock hunting and you want to learn, like make it be the thing that you do for a few years and, and get it get it get kind of get like seeing a few bears under your belt and like just be patient with the process though because. There's and I'll give you guys some ideas of where I like to look, but like yeah,
0: that's that was my a, question. Where, where it's do you, a where ton do you of look?
1: glassing, but for me, like early in the season, um, and this year's going to be weird because of this late snow, but like early mm-hmm. in the season, I, they want grass, and so I look for big funnels. Like if I'm going to look on if I'm e scouting, I look for like a giant funnel that is made by drainages. So I'm like, oh, that drainage is 12 miles long the head end of it is all like north-facing, rocky, denny country, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, okay, if a bear's den there, it's got to come out. And where's the first food? Like it's going to hang out of it by its den for a few days and kind of like wake up and be unhung over like I'm sure they feel. And then when they start feeling like it's time to eat, they got to find food. And where's the first food? Oftentimes in the early spring, the first food is in the creek bottom. And people overlook those creek bottoms like crazy when they're bear hunting because everything they read and everything they've been told is to look on the hillsides in the green meadows. And those creek bottoms green up way faster than
0: hillsides do. Like, can I, can I ask you a question about that? When yep. when you say creek bottom, are you talking about like those super canopied out, shady type kind of creek bottoms, or are you talking maybe more of an open? Um, maybe there's some li- like those willows down in the, in the bottom of the creek there. You, you know what I'm talking about? Sunny? Yeah, shady. What's kind your of,
1: take? kind of both. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. Like we've, we've, we've taken bears out of kind of like those shady, there's a 10 by 10 patch in the timber along the edge of the creek. That's got some uh-huh. green grass on the edge. And we've also taken them in like meadows that are in the bottoms, you know, like a, maybe a 200 yard meadow that's long. And oh, there's timber on gotcha. both sides, okay. you know, and like, they're I've got hitting a really good spot for that. I've got a great spot yeah. for that. I'm
0: going to try that.
1: <laughs> they're hitting the edges of those super early because there's green grass hitting right there. Right, that's the first green grass of the year. Okay. And then as they start getting their bellies full, they sleep and drink a lot. They need water. They need good food and cover right there in those creek bottoms. Then as the the sun starts hitting and warms up and those hillsides start greening up, these bears start moving back, back towards the higher elevations, but they follow the snow line and they follow the green grass. So early on, I'm looking in creek bottoms and stuff, and then I'm moving up the hillside as the as the spring goes on kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be a drainage or one mountain that you watch, maybe down low early and follow it up. But I really like to look at – I like to get in places where I can watch a creek bottom or my favorite way to do spot and stalk hunting is have. I have several of those places where the wind is perfect, if I still hunt, just kind of slowly walk up the creek bottom, like two, three miles, and you're like, around every corner, you know, like, oh, there's that one meadow right here, I, I hope there's one in there, uh, mm-hmm. nothing's there, I'm going to go to the next meadow, and like, you can do that the whole yep, day, yep. you know, and th- that's a great way to, a lot of guys don't, I won't say a lot of guys, but it was pretty common when I was growing up, and learning how to spot and stock hunt, to just kind of like, be on roads, and glass, and cover a lot of country, glassing and i kind of learned like there's not a lot of dudes out just hiking spring bear hunting and i was like man there's some great stuff off the road that you can't see that aren't even like hard walks that you could just like park your truck on a logging road walk into this one spot take a right and then you're in this beautiful lush bottom or valley you know yeah and totally those are those are great spots to look um but always being able to try and find a good vantage is really helpful. And like being able to look over a lot of country as this, it seems like in our area where I've, I struggled for a few years around Cody finding bear spot and stock, because I would look in all the traditional great black bear spots. Like if I was in Montana, the spot I'm looking at would have a bear in it. When I moved to Wyoming, it just had a grizz in it, you know? so i was are, like man are you talking these like these,
0: like those dark timber kind of areas and because i don't like timber like meadow
1: like a big park on a hillside surrounded uh-huh. by timber and there's only one thing of grass and it's in that park and that's where a bears at or like a beautiful long lush green meadow there's elk in it and stuff and at the head end of that thing will be a grizz and it's like everywhere i was kind of learn to look for black bears had grizzlies in it in Wyoming. And I'm like, I was going years. It's like six and seven to one for every seven or eight or six Grizz. I'd see, I'd see one black bear. And I was just like, this is frustrating.
0: That is frustrating.
1: So I started finding them. I started finding black bears in Wyoming, more in fringe country, like, okay, beautiful, big meadow. There should be a bear in this. Oh, wait, up in the rocks up there on the slide with barely any grass is a black bear huh. or down in this Canyon with like three trees and green grass is a black bear. Like I just started finding them in weird spots. So I started like focusing my attention. I still look at those great spots, but I, I start looking like I look at everything now where I maybe not, uh, I maybe wouldn't have in the past.
0: When, when you're kind of, when you've got a vantage point in your, you're observing The terrain in front of you, um, do you have a take or a suggestion as to, are you focusing a lot on kind of the face of the opposite, you know, mountain hill, whatever, uh, or, or do you put some focus on ridge lines and bottom of drainage kind of areas as and i'm just talking not not moving you're just you just you've got your vantage point the reason i ask i guess joe is there's this one spot that i hunt uh, actually i hunt elk there uh but it's like these two smaller creek drainages and when i say small they're like you know you just kind of hop across it like that little creek what's that movie where they're guarding the bridge and they won't, he won't, the the dude won't let the, the people cross the bridge, but it, I mean, you oh, can just hop up Oh, it's men in tights. Yeah, that one, that one. And they're, and they're bit, <laughs> yeah. like, the dude's like, this ain't exactly the Colorado and just jumps across it yeah. and, the, and the guard gets yeah. all pissed. Anyway, you know, that's what I'm talking about. That size of kind of crick. little, little stream coming down the bottom of the drainage. But what happens is they're coming down in like this V shape and there's just like, beautiful ridge that goes between them up, splitting the drainage in two. And oh, I've, yeah. I've seen a ton of bear tracks on that during elk season, uh, specifically on the lower half of that, where they kind of, where the two creeks kind of meet and make form the bigger drainage yep. going down the rest. Is that, is that a viable place to look in the spring or is that more of like a fall bear hunt?
1: It, it's interesting. Like, I, I think it sounds like it's an awesome spot. Like I, I love spots like that. Like, especially if you can't see it from a lot of places, yeah. No, they you can't can it's make, a hike.
0: It's a hike. Like nobody they can goes make back there. their living
1: in like a very small patch. And mm-hmm. it's funny how they like to be in the shadows. They like to, they love the shadows. It seems like, you okay. know, they'll be out in the middle of the sun, but it's like, I just seem to see them more like on the edges in the dark shadows and those creek bottoms and those places where there's timber and grass, they feel so comfortable there. Right. Cause that's their, they're not out and vulnerable. And so I think like that, just because there's tracks in the fall, I don't know that there wouldn't be tracks there in the spring either. I guess it'd be a snow thing, and, and there's probably some bears using it in the spring. I mean, you got that V. That's what I look for, that funnel. Yeah,
0: it's gotta a funnel. got to come out of that, the yeah, high country.
1: Yeah. They're going to come down, and the fr- they're going to just follow those cricks down. And they follow those cricks down, and bears are like people, path of least resistance. They are going to try and go on trails. They're going to try and go on edges where they don't have to go over a ton of logs. They're, 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 they're conservationists, man. They're always thinking about building, (laughs) building fat.
2: Yeah.
1: They're always, they're like, how do I conserve energy? How do I conserve fat? How do I do this? And so they just take the path of least resistance to the first food they can find. And that sounds like a really good little pocket there. And if you could find a spot like where you could see some of it, or maybe still hunt into it a little bit and, you know, kind of get on the edge and just sit in glass and there brings in calling great areas to call
0: hmm okay okay let's talk about calling for a minute what um what do you recommend call wise i use what i've always
1: used and i don't know if it's right or wrong i, I have two calls on my lanyard i have like a predator call um so it's just like a rabbit in distress huh. and then i have a fawn bleat that i use and those are basically the only two that i use and I've I've had some mixed results with both. What I did a few years ago when I was still living in Montana, I bought a fawn decoy.
0: Son of a and, bitch, man. Uh, I had my, my fawn bleat. I wanted to I wanted to try it and, and have you give me feedback on it. I had my predator call though.
1: Those those big bears eat a lot of fawns, you know, and that, that's mm-hmm. one of their main food sources. I see it on bait seasons. When we bait, whenever the calves and the fawns start dropping, we start seeing less of our, our big bears on camera um and and we bait we bait in a calving area it's just kind of where they're at most years and so i think what they're doing is they're like like bears supplement with bait that's not their only they they, they'll eat grass over bait Mm -hmm. and they'll eat fawns and calves over bait so i like to use like anything like i feel like a rabbit call is great to get their attention but honestly like a fawn bleat and then a fawn decoy that i've used I've hunted a lot in Montana on calving grounds with calls and and decoys. And you don't happen to
0: have your, you don't happen to have your bleak call there. Do you? I do not. Okay. Uh, All my stuff. It's like, now that's my, that's my rabbit in distress call. Hang on. Dang. I thought I had it sitting right here, man. I was going to, I was going to totally, I have a, I have an elk calf call, but I can't.
1: Honestly, like anything like that, that's what they key in on it. I think, certain times of year they work better like doug doug bows in washington's a great caller and and he does a ton of it mm-hmm. i call most of the time i don't call early season it just seems like i can't like, get him interested so in it
0: early season defined by like pre-may 15 you think yeah
1: i guess it depends on where you're at and how long the bears have been out and on natural grass and stuff like that mm-hmm. it just seems like they get to a point where they're like, okay, I'm ready to start like finding other food sources, whether it be meat or bait barrels or whatever. And that's kind of the key. And I think it's always kind of around calving and fawning season. And so those are great times to be out there with a call. When you know fawns and calves are hitting the ground and you're in an area where maybe they're doing that, these bears will, these big boars, and even some of the older sows will frequent those areas. They've done it for years. And those are great areas to call.
0: Gosh, I wish I had that call. I so wanted to get your take on on how you, like, what do you define, like, exactly how do you do the fawn bleat? Um, yeah, is it, it's it just playing to, around with it. Or, 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 I'm just going to use this other call just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, it's it's a fawn, or, or I'm sorry, this is a like a rabbit in distress call, but I'm going to mimic like I'm doing a fawn bleat, and, and I want you to kind of tell me what I'm doing wrong with it, okay? Because I'm screwing it up. Um, is that okay? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. So, uh, let me see what this thing even sounds like. I don't even know what call this is. Okay. So just something like, something like that.
1: Yeah. Something like that. I think it'd work fine. Like okay. there, it's, it's like an elk in the rut, right? Like yeah, yeah. a bull when he's hot will come into the most horrendous sounding bugle on the planet. <laughs> totally. I think these bears just need that, and like it's really nice if you can see the bear when you're calling, because you can. I, I've seen them sometimes hang up when you quit calling, like they don't just hear it once and come in. I've Not always, before. but I've heard that a lot. I've before. heard them hang up, like their attention span is smaller, so they are like, "Oh, I don't hear it anymore. I'll just eat some grass." Hear it again. <clears throat> oh, I don't hear it anymore, and so it's nice when you can see them, because if you're calling blind. You don't know when and where to stop, but I would say if you do a 20, 30 minute call session and nothing comes in, find a new location, you know, because okay. that bear could be far enough away where you're not going to bring him in, or there is a bear there that he's just not interested because they are weird that way. They, they, they fall is great to call because I think they're looking for anything like that.
0: So that, um, going back to the, the like the fawn bleat kind of call um, I'm super curious oh, okay well let me put it this way like I, I I figured out the baiting thing to the extent of which I can I can get bears on my barrel right um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I have a pretty good handle on spot and stock with bears um, I, I've got really good areas I've spotted them there before uh, I, I think I could be effective with that but I have a passion for calling animals in uh, this is why I yeah. talk about September elk, and this is why I get super excited about spring turkey. Yeah, you know, the, I I do have a, a passion for that. Um, and so I, I just uh I don't really remember exactly what I was going to ask you, but those but the fawn in distress, it, are you are you kind of looking at that in the same capacity or, or way, like like when you think of a a lost calf when you're elk hunting, you know? Yeah, that's is what that I kind of that
1: that yeah like a locator fawn locator calf locator like hey mom's not here or something's going wrong and I'm like reaching out to the herd or mom to to get help or to locate them okay
2: so and just, I think uh, those
1: bears get used to hearing that when they're hanging around these these herds of calving and fawning uh, deer and elk and they, they kind of key in on that
0: so I've got a I've got an elk reed here. It's not exactly a calf read, but you can make it sound like that. Can I can I make some noise so you can tell me whether or not yeah. you think a bear would come in? This is this is how we learn, man. <laughs> I know I, yeah. I, I probably sound ridiculous, but let's try it. Make <clears throat> Okay. So... Something along those lines.
1: Yeah, and I think the longer, like, if you when you draw that out a little bit more, even it's really good. It just kind of is like, hey, like
0: the lower the stress, high.
1: The, I like the higher. Um, okay. You know, you want to be more like a calf. I, I think. Yeah, something like that.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And I, I've called bears in in the fall. Uh, I did it one time up in the Pintlers in Montana, our archery elk hunting really uh, cow, cow calling and a bear came right in behind us like where's dinner you know <laughs> and so I, I think you need to try and like it would be good for you to like watch some of those YouTube videos or like listen to guys that are really good at it like I'm not a great caller my thing is like um, I, I sometimes forget about it as a tool like I, I get going chasing things spot and stock hunting and I'm like oh shit I should have tried to call that bear and like we couldn't close the distance you know, until dark. Mm, And so I think I I always forget about it, you know, and I'm like, gosh, dang. And I I didn't as much in my, I seem like I did it more in Montana, but it would be cool. Like if you get into your spot and stock area and you're like, man, there's a bear over there. It's not a big one. Bust out a call and see what happens. Like practice on them if you can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of screwed either way. The, 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 I guess the worst case scenario is you're in the same situation. It's wandering off and you're never going to see it again. Uh, but there's, yeah. there's a chance to, to call them in and turn them around. Um, there's
1: definitely guys out there that are like, got the bear calling like dialed in. And that's one thing that I've, I, I know enough to get myself in trouble. I'll yeah. say that.
0: I don't even know that much. So I, I wish I could get in <laughs> a little trouble out there. <laughs> like I can call in turkeys and I can call in elk, but, um, oh, I'm really good at calling in uh, coyotes, but uh, I've well, never called shoot, in a bear. Bud,
1: you should be able to call in a bear. It just hasn't been something you tried very much.
0: Yeah. Well, exactly. I've, I've tried it twice. I tried it twice and, uh, neither time. In fact, one time, uh, the, the, the first time I tried to call in a bear, I called in a coyote. Um, and that coyote had an unfortunate day as well.
1: So, yeah. And, and the one thing we have to remember when we're calling bears, like people are always like, oh, they don't hear and they can't see. Look, they don't hear like an elk. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. they can hear so and i don't a coyote's gonna hear a way better than a bear probably so i think you gotta like think of that too when you're calling like i, I don't know that you're gonna great distance call a bear but um man if you can get in tighter or even just see one you're like i'm gonna see if i can get him across the canyon or something you know mm-hmm. and and always when you're calling Keep the wind in mind when you're calling, because they will do similar things to coyotes and try and circle wind and and do that whole thing. So,
0: okay. No, this is this is great stuff, man. This is great stuff. I, I've I've kind of kept you a long time. Do you want to kind of wrap this up? Oh by, no, I'm. Yeah, um, I appreciate. I could talk about this stuff for days. So. Well, we might have to. <laughs> we, we're going to have to do this again. Obviously, I mean that's absolutely that's my buddy. problem with with doing this podcast is every guest I have on. Um. Well, almost every guest. But most of the – unless – if it's a politician, it, it, this is not holding true. But um, every time I get a guest on, I've, I've got like this new person that I'm, I'm super anxious to learn from or talk to more or dig deeper. And I'm always like, okay, we're going to get you back on the show. And I, I like legitimately mean it. And so I, I want people to come back on the show um, – and 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 let's talk more because we we just kind of scratched the first or the scratched the surface with the first discussion and I feel like that it's the second and third discussions where things get really deep and and we, we really cover some distance.
1: I I I uh I would be happy to come back on and talk about anything. Like I've been following your show for a long time, so it's been a, it is a pleasure to come on it and visit with you and. Like we're all learning, right? Even if I think I know a lot, like I always tell my daughter who's starting to hunt now, it's just like every time you're out there, you learn something new. Like even yeah. if you think oh, you're an sure. expert, or like listening to podcasts or reading books or anything, like we'll never know enough.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: like if anytime I can learn or, or talk to someone else about it, I love doing it. I, I love to learn and, and to, to share my passion. So.
0: Me too. And and it's it's easy. It's it's such a that that's the thing, and I think that's part of some hunters' problems is they feel like, and I was guilty of this. That's why I feel comfortable saying it is I thought I I was the shit when it came to mule deer hunting. It turns mm-hmm. out, turns out, Joe, I am not the shit when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> mule deer hunting. Um, I, I'm a decent mule deer hunter, but but there's a uh, you know there, there's some people out there that just blow my mind, and and I love getting humbled uh by people and and i think that that's part of the problem is as hunters we there's this massive ego side to hunting and being a hunter uh and and i think that that ego can sometimes get in the way in terms of you know being open and humble enough to to learn from new people and i was i i explained that to my daughters yesterday um that uh, i i told you i went i went turkey hunting uh, took the took the girls over to my buddy's place and we hunted turkeys and got got a couple of jakes down and You know, I'm like 10 years older than this guy. Uh, But I learned a lot from him. Like, he's a good turkey caller. I thought I was a good turkey caller. Like, he's a good-ass turkey caller. And, And when you put, like, his knowledge and my knowledge together... We had a ton of turkey encounters, and, and if people close themselves off to learning from people, no matter what you think your experience level is, matched and meshed against somebody else, you'd be surprised what you could learn from even beginner hunters, because beginner hunters, especially adult beginner hunters, have super interesting perspectives, like questions that you wouldn't think to ask yourself. You know what I mean? Like, they think of things... It's
1: so true. It's so true, uh, man. Like, I, they, they, they... I have a buddy that just as a late onset adult hunter uh-huh. and he challenges me a lot because he makes me think of things that are out of my normal range of thinking yeah, that i grew yeah. up thinking like well we can't this is this way and he's well why well i don't know that's just the way i grew up you know and so it's like
2: mm-hmm. I, it's
1: very interesting perspective i love it because and the excitement that they have is like reinvigorates me and, oh, yeah. and when I get around people like that that are like so excited and I'm like like I, I've never burnt out on hunting but I forget they remind me why I love it yeah right they're so like true. this is so cool and you're so lucky you've done this your whole life and you're like you know I I, I I, am super lucky that my dad got me into hunting and my grandpa did and like I've lived where I do because I got to do this and it reminds you sometimes and that can be humbling as well and I think we've all gone through piece, parts in our life where we thought we were that guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a progression of hunters. Sometimes is like you go through like learning to I'm the expert to man. I thought I was the expert, but I don't know shit. Yeah. And <laughs> we're all at, getting to that stage now where we're like, man, if I can learn more, like yeah, totally, I, I, I'm going to be better and I can share it with other people. And that's how I feel about bear hunting. Like I, I admittedly, like it's my passion And I, people are always like, man, you know, and I'm like, look, what I know probably compared to some bear hunters that you'll never talk to is small. Like there are Mm. guys out there that will run circles around most of us. And it's like, that's the guys I want to talk to. Like, what are their secrets, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I, I, and I love that stuff and it's, it's just amazing. Social media was an eye opener for me. Like before social media, I thought I was a decent hunter. And then I oh, started yeah. figuring out like you could see, you know, such and such hunter who lives in Wyoming and such and such hunter, you know, down two hours south of you, and then another hunter over in Montana, and it's like, holy crap, man. Like
1: it, opened up, the, it opened up the it opened up the world. <laughs> it does. It
0: does it. I love that for I, that's what I love about social media is it opened a lot of doors and networking opportunities and learning opportunities. It's like, man. Their fingernail clippings are better hunters than I am, and and yes, this is I,
1: I feel like that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So anyway, now this is a great conversation, guys. Listening, um, go jump on Instagram, and it's gonna be in the show notes, but uh, you can jump on Western Bear Foundation at Western Bear Foundation on Instagram, uh, and and check out Joe. Uh, Joe, do you have a a, a different Instagram? account or or is it that one i, I have my personal one and then uh, just j
1: at j, at j can be but the western bear Foundation's at western bear foundation and then our uh website's uh western bear and we're on facebook as well just under western bear foundation
0: awesome so i again i can't thank you enough for coming on i think this was a i think we covered a lot of good ground man we we talked about the importance of um, the You know, foundations like the Western Bear Foundation, and, and we didn't cover what it's going to be, but we'll leave that for next time. Yeah, that'll be a
1: good conversation next time. Um, perfect.
0: And so let's plan on that. But we covered, you know, what we're what we're doing with the uh, with the Anna hunting movement out there, and we covered a lot of really good spring bear hunting tips. So um, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I got a new friend, and uh, I'm I'm gonna have to make another visit down to Cody, Wyoming. And, man, and, uh,
1: I'm bummed we didn't you. I'm
0: bummed we didn't get a chat when you were here last time. But that just means yeah. we we'll have to do it again. We'll have to do it again, man. I I am not uh, opposed to going to Cody, Wyoming again. So. No oh yeah man <laughs> love it all right brother well I appreciate it and we'll uh, keep in touch Thanks buddy you made it all the way to the end.